0: When so much in your life feels uncertain, and there's so much that you don't know, and that is overwhelming, you can cling to what you do know is true. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever.
1: Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chaplin. I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with author Marissa Henley. Today we'll be talking about the topic of living with cancer, exposing some of the raw emotions that go along with a life-threatening illness, the fears about death that believers with cancer wrestle with, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ strengthens sufferers to face an unknown future with courage and hope. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting FaithfulSparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Marissa Henley is a survivor of a rare cancer who writes about faith, friendship, and motherhood. She's the author of the book, Loving Your Friend Through Cancer, Moving Beyond I'm Sorry to Meaningful Support, and also writes for websites such as... Gospel Coalition, Risen Motherhood, Table Talk Magazine, Servants of Grace, and Proverbs 31 Daily Devotions. Marissa also serves on the writing team for the First 5 app from Proverbs 31 Ministries. She is married with three children. Hey Marissa, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad to be here.
1: I'm really excited for our conversation. We're going to be talking about a really difficult topic, living with cancer, and you actually wrote a book called Loving Your Friend Through Cancer, and it's really focused on equipping supporters to serve their loved ones well. Before we get started in our conversation, would you take a few minutes to share about your personal experience with being diagnosed with a rare form of cancer?
0: Sure, it was in October of 2010. It was actually the day before my 34th birthday when I got a phone call from the doctor with some biopsy results. And he told me that it was a tumor, that it was a rare and aggressive cancer called angiosarcoma. And I had never heard of angiosarcoma before. I had found a lump in my breast and I had done a lot of research on the internet before the biopsy and I thought I would get a diagnosis of breast cancer or not breast cancer. And this was a completely different situation even though it was in my breast, it actually wasn't breast cancer, it was this other type of cancer. And when I hung up the phone with the doctor, I typed, this strange new word into Google, which I don't necessarily recommend by the way, but, um, I Googled it. And one of the first things that I read was that it has a five-year survival rate of about 30%. And at the time my boys were six and four years old and my little girl was 18 months. And I just started praying and begging the Lord to let me live long enough for her to remember me. And that was really all that I was asking for at that point was was just more time. I never imagined that I would get as much time as he's given me. You, you get to know the end of the story since it's 2019, and I'm still here and I'm healthy. But at the time, it was it was very scary, and everything was very uncertain at that point. And so. To make a long story short, because it was so rare, we were told pretty quickly that we should seek medical treatment at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. I live in Arkansas, so it was a bit of a trip, but we went down there, we found a doctor who is an angiosarcoma expert, and he was in charge of my treatment plan. I had several months of high doses of chemo, I ended up needing a clinical trial that required me to spend most of my time in Houston, which was really difficult, being away from my kids and my family. Then I had radiation also in Houston, and surgery in Houston. It was about nine months of treatment total. And at the end of that, my doctor looked at me and said, you have no evidence of disease. And I've had a lot of scans and some scares along the way, but um, the Lord has granted me good health ever since 2011. And I'm really thankful. Well,
1: I am certainly thankful for that because it's clear God is you know, used your story and your heart for other women who are facing these battles to really glorify him in the midst of an uncertain future. Because many of us have been affected by cancer in one way, shape or form. And I think that is a really big theme. And when you're facing that battle is, is you don't know how this is going Mm -hmm. to play out. And that can be really overwhelming for people to deal with. I wonder if you might be able to help us better understand what it is to live with cancer. If we thought of cancer, maybe as a jail cell that one finds themselves in. Can you explain what that cell looks and feels like? Help us understand from the perspective of the sufferer. And maybe is there a passage in the scriptures that would be able to help us relate to that experience also?
0: Yeah, so when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2010, it felt like a full-time job that I didn't want and that I wasn't expecting to have. I was just walking through normal life as a young mom of three kids. And all of a sudden my schedule and my life and my emotions and my family and everything was just completely turned upside down. And so I think that your analogy of a jail cell is actually really accurate in a lot of ways because it feels like you've lost the freedom that you felt like you had before because your schedule and your activities and what you're able to do they're now just completely determined by your medical appointments and your treatment and the side effects that you're having to deal with and that is really difficult and it can also be really isolating because it felt to me like no one really knew what it was like to be me And I had tremendous support and my friends and my family and our church family were just amazing. I had so much love, so many prayers, so much support, but it still felt isolating to, to be the one walking through that trial. And so it did feel like in some ways that I was alone in a, in a jail cell. And yet I would imagine I've never been in jail, but I would imagine that if you shared a cell with someone you would be intensely aware of the presence of another person in that jail cell with you. And that's how I felt. I was so aware of the Lord's presence with me in that dark, difficult place in a way that I had never been aware of his presence before, even though I have been a believer for a long time. It was a a special way of, feeling and experiencing his presence with me. And so I think that thinking about a scripture that describes that time, I mean, there's definitely some Psalms (laughs) of lament that would come to mind, but also I think um, thinking about Daniel three, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace and a fourth man is in that furnace with them. And that's what it felt like to me. I was in a furnace, it was hot, it was painful, it was scary. And yet the Lord was with me.
1: You had to deal with what many living with cancer have had to endure, which is significant physical changes. In your book, you actually talk about how you lost your hair, your eyebrows, eyelashes, and you gained a central line sticking out of your chest. It could be easy to read these handful of paragraphs in your book at the opening, when you're talking about this loss, and we kind of gloss over it without really meditating on the weight of that, that type of physical change, you know, and what cancer treatment really demands of the body, the weakness and the sickness and the constant reminder of your mortality, really. How did the physical suffering of your fight against cancer take a toll on your spirituality and your faith? Did you find yourself wrestling with doubts or questions that you hadn't dealt with before?
0: It was definitely a very different experience to go from being a perfectly healthy 34-year-old with no significant medical history at all, to all of a sudden being a really sick person who is spending all of her time in doctor's offices and hospitals. It was a very, it was a very surreal experience. And going through the chemo especially, I found that it was really hard for me to be able to focus to read, to read scripture, to read all of the books that people were so generously giving me, um, to be able to pray, to be able to listen to sermons. All of those things were really difficult. I really honestly couldn't even focus enough to watch a sitcom on TV, let alone read the scriptures. And so that was hard for me because that had been such an important part of my life before the diagnosis. And I knew that in that suffering, I really needed to be leaning into the Lord, but it was challenging to figure out ways to do that in my physical and mental state at the time. And the other thing that was hard that I hadn't really expected was just the loss of fellowship with other believers. Because I had to be in Houston so much for my treatment, and also because I had so many weeks where I basically had zero white blood cells, and that meant I was really susceptible to colds, flu, etc. that could land me in the hospital, I really wasn't supposed to be around crowds of people or out in public during that time. And so I couldn't go to church. (laughs) I would make it there occasionally. If I was at home and I had white blood cells, I would go but there were many times that I couldn't. And when I was in Houston, I would go when I could, but it wasn't my church. It wasn't my people. It wasn't my church family. And so that was something that that surprised me, just how hard that was to be away from my church family. And then on the flip side of that, though, I feel like, as I mentioned earlier, I sense the Lord's presence in such a comforting way and His peace, was with me in a way that I really can't explain. It's hard to to explain it if you haven't been through it. And I was wrestling so much to trust him with my future. My future seemed so uncertain and My children's future felt so uncertain. That was the part about that that was so hard, was thinking about what they might have to walk through if they lost me at a young age. And I just was wrestling constantly with the Lord about that and wanting to face that future without fear, knowing that He is so good and He is so faithful no matter what. But I really struggled with that. And yet knowing that He would give us what we needed to face each day, that was really just what I would cling to through all of that.
1: I think it's so fascinating you mentioned about how you were needing to keep an eye on your white blood cell count. You know, some of us don't even want to leave the house on a bad hair day. And <laughs> I'm not trying to make light of it, but these are the types of things that we might not understand our friends and family members who are living with cancer these are their concerns, you know. They may not even have any hair. They may not have the immunity to even go out the front door. Imagine living one day like that if you have not ever. I mean, I've not ever personally experienced that and I'm just sitting here so moved just by the fact that that was your daily life for a period of time is is your own body's immunity dictated your fellowship, your ability to see other people. I just think that's a really heavy point that for those of us who have not physically experienced that type of a struggle, I think this is really a key point to remember when we are helping our loved ones through this type of battle. We talk about all kinds of suffering on the Hope and Help Project and how we as caregivers can sometimes slip into the harmful helper role whether we're being simple and trite or foolish and impatient with someone's pain, would you share some unhelpful ways people try to comfort those who are in the midst of a cancer battle? Why do you think we are so inept in coming alongside those who are suffering?
0: I think it's such a difficult thing for so many reasons. And this is something that I have experienced in my life As I seek to support those who are suffering. And I am amazed sometimes, Christine, even though I have walked through this myself (laughs) and how many times I put my foot in my mouth or say things that I wish I could take back when I'm trying to support someone who is going through cancer. And I would say there's two big problems that we run into in this situation. One is that we want to fix it and the other is that we have a tendency to make it about us. And I'll explain what I mean about both of those. So wanting to fix it, I think when we see someone we love and care about who's going through something hard, we desperately want to say something that's going to make it better. <laughs> we love them. We don't want them to be hurting. And we think if we can just come up with the right thing to say or the right scripture, or we, we do something that we can fix it. And, and sometimes we're uncomfortable with someone's tears or with the doubts that they're having or their fears or whatever it is that they're feeling that they need to share with us and they need someone to listen, but it makes us uncomfortable. And we want to try to move the conversation to safer territory that won't feel as awkward to us. And what I'm trying to learn to do in those situations is to be willing to sit with them in their pain, to be willing to cry with someone, to shut my mouth and listen, to say less, to not try to fix it. Because the truth is, you can't fix this. If A friend of yours has cancer, you can't fix it. There's no magic words that are gonna make her feel better. What she really needs is your presence with her and your prayers for her and your willingness to walk through those difficult emotions with her. So that's one problem is wanting to fix it. Secondly, I think that we tend to make it about us sometimes when we are speaking to our friends who are going through cancer. And so maybe we're telling her how upset we are about her diagnosis and that she's going through this. And that sounds supportive in some ways, but it also can feel like a burden to our friend with cancer that now she's also having to manage our emotions or take on this burden of how terrible her cancer makes us feel. And so it's really better if we can keep the focus on her and what she's going through. The other thing that I have been guilty of so many times is wanting to compare someone's very serious illness to a time that I was sick. So My sister-in-law actually had breast cancer the year before I had cancer, and I was constantly comparing her chemo-related nausea to the nausea that I had experienced during my perfectly healthy pregnancies. And I know now that that was not helpful, Mm. (laughs) and I cannot believe that she did not just hang up the phone on me. But I think what we're doing when we do that is we're trying to find a connection point with our friend and we're trying to help her feel connected to us and like we can relate to what she's going through. But the truth is, if you haven't been through chemo, you do not know. Uh, It is not anything like the stomach bug that you've had. It is not like anything like the nausea that you had when you were pregnant. So just listen, keep the focus on her. And I think that will help prevent some of the problems that we run into.
1: And I'll build on that and just say if anyone is listening and curious about other different types of ways they can avoid some of the the no-nos in supporting your friend through cancer, Marissa's book is excellent resource for that type of help and advice. And it's also, you know, very scripture focused as well. So I would recommend it if, if that's the position that you find yourself in. You know, I personally have not experienced cancer in my life, but I did watch it take down my dad about nine years ago. And as I watched him suffer, I observed his fears and his denial. He did not want to leave his family. I remember eavesdropping on a conversation he was having with the hospice chaplain, and he said he had been praying to God, but in his words, it wasn't working And he was so weak. I mean, he could barely get the sentence out. It was one word at a time. It maybe took a minute just to say it's not working. The truth of it is, is that cancer is a destroyer and we hate it. (laughs) And many people do not experience healing in this life. According to your book, there was a time even in your trial where you didn't believe that you would hear the words, No Disease Detected. As Christians, how can we reconcile the very real fear and anxiety of staring death in the face with the hope of everlasting health we have in Christ? It's one of those really hard issues to talk about. And I think unless you've experienced it personally or unless you've watched someone close to you walk through it, we just don't like to spend time thinking about this type of thing.
0: Well, I think that it is really hard to talk about it, and in our culture, we don't like to discuss these kinds of things, but the people who are walking through that desperately need us to be willing to talk about it. And that is what I needed when I was going through that. There were times when I felt very positive and very hopeful and I wanted to believe that I was going to come through on the other side and be healthy and watch my kids graduate and get married and hold their babies one day. But most of the time that was not what I was expecting was going to happen. And I needed my friends to be realistic about what we were up against and what the possibilities were because that was something that I was really having to to wrestle through. And so when you are a 34-year-old mom and you're praying and asking God to provide a second wife for your husband if you don't make it, That's something that you need to talk about with other people. I needed my closest friends to be willing to sit there and cry with me and hear me say those things and not just dismiss that and say, Oh, don't talk like that. You're going to be fine. And so I think that we need to be willing to understand if we're a friend, we need to be willing to understand that our friend who's walking through it needs to talk about those things. And For those who are walking through that hard time, I just want to say that it's okay to wrestle with that. It's okay to not want to die. I think that sometimes that feels a little bit unspiritual, like, oh, you know, we're trusting the Lord. We know we have eternal life in Christ, and shouldn't we want to be with Him? Isn't that better? And yet, even Paul, when he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he goes on to tell the Philippians, you know, but I know that it's better that I am here and I continue to labor for you. And that's how I felt I wanted to continue to be there for my kids. And so I needed to acknowledge that God is good, whatever the outcome was but also to understand that God hates death. And so it's okay for us to hate it too. And it's okay to cry and to plead with the Lord to give us those years. And then just as Jesus cried in the garden of Gethsemane and wept at the team of Lazarus, I think that shows us that Jesus hates death as well. But we can then say, okay, God, your will be done and know that regardless of what the outcome is, that he will never stop caring for our family, loving our family, being faithful to our family. And that was really how I was able to cope with thinking about that that possibility of my children having to walk through that hardship and suffering was just to know that God alone is our only hope in life and in death.
1: So take us to the chemo chair. When you were sitting and getting your treatments, what was going through your head During those days, what does that moment feel like? Are there things that you would take with you to bring you comfort or to distract you from what was going on?
0: Yes. So, my first round, I was just scared because I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know if I would have an allergic reaction. I didn't know how I would feel afterwards. I didn't know if it was going to work or if I was going to go through all of this and lose my hair just to find out that it wasn't working. So I think the first couple of rounds just felt scary to me. I had seven rounds all in all and each round of chemo, I actually would get chemo for four days in a row and I would kind of go downhill physically and mentally over the course of those four days. But after the first two rounds, we did some scans and we knew that the chemo was working. And so my third and fourth round, I felt determined because I hated getting chemo, but I knew it was working and I felt like this is gonna give me that a chance at what I really want, which is to see my kids grow up. And then the later rounds, there's a usually a cumulative effect when it comes to the side effects, they just kind of get worse with each round. And so the later rounds, I would walk in and sit in that chemo chair with a sense of dread, because I knew that I was about to feel really rotten. Mm. And so it was, it was different over the course of those months. And I really did appreciate having visitors I would get pretty sleepy. And one thing for friends to keep in mind is that it wasn't even necessarily the chemo that made me sleepy, but they usually give you Benadryl to keep you from getting an allergic reaction to the medication and the Benadryl makes you really sleepy. (laughs) And so... I appreciated having visitors because it was a good distraction for me, but I also needed visitors to understand that if I was getting a little drowsy, that I needed them to pull out a book and sit there and read while I took a nap or to go ahead and, and go and, and let me rest. And so I did enjoy having visitors and I would usually bring a laptop or an iPad and watch a movie or something on Netflix and, or in the, in the early days days in the round of chemo I would read but by the third and fourth day of the chemo treatments I usually wouldn't be able to do much but maybe watch a movie and just sleep and rest.
1: Tell us about the family dynamics during your treatments. What kinds of questions did your children ask and how did you involve your faith in the the answers to them? And then I guess would you also maybe touch on how God used that season of living with cancer to impact your marriage?
0: Well, it definitely impacted our entire family, obviously, as I was walking through that. And My kids did amazingly well, and I give the Lord all the glory for that. I feel like He really answered so many people's prayers for my kids during that time, and they were really young, um, as I mentioned before. So my 18-month-old really had no idea what was going on. I think it was really difficult for her that I kept disappearing for two weeks at a time, and then I would come back, and she didn't really understand why. But my boys who were six and four, they did know that I had cancer. We did tell them that we used that word. And they had just watched their aunt walk through cancer the year before and lose her hair and then be healthy. And so that was helpful in talking to them about it because they didn't know anyone who had died from cancer. And so they didn't really have that context. Like we as adults, when we hear that word, we have all of this baggage that comes with that word um, from our experience. And my boys really didn't have that. And so I don't think that that thought ever really occurred to them, but it was hard for them that I was gone. I was a stay-at-home mom. They were so used to me always being the one to care for them. And so having that change was really difficult. And I think the thing that they really focused on the most was my hair loss. And to this day, that's really all they remember. They don't remember that I pretty much lived in Houston and they had a full-time nanny for several months. They just remember the clown wig that I bought because my four-year-old said, why don't you get a clown wig? I think that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I had this rainbow clown wig that I would wear sometimes at home. And that's pretty much all that they remember from that time. But because they were little, I think some of the things that we did, one is that I did wear a wig pretty much all of the time. And I'm not saying that that's something that all young moms who lose their hair have to do. But I think for my kids, it brought them comfort to see me looking a little bit more normal. And if I did go pick them up at preschool or something like that, for their friends to not notice that there was something different about their mom, um, for me to be wearing a wig and look very normal, I think was helpful for my kids at that age. And we also just talked a lot about how God was going to care for us and God was going to provide for us. And in the months after that cancer battle, I, I felt that it was very important for me to teach my kids the truth of God's character because I didn't know what was going to lay ahead for us. I expected the cancer to come back pretty quickly. And I just wanted my kids to be so grounded in the truth of God's character. And so that no matter what happened, no matter all the changes that they might face in their life, they would know that that would never change, that God's character would never change. And so that was something that was really important to me. And then in my marriage, it it has been interesting because my husband and I both experienced those months in very different ways. I was away in Houston being sick and wondering if I was going to survive. And he was at home working his tail off trying to work all day and then come home and take care of three little kids all by himself and wonder if that was his future, if I didn't make it. And so I think that we walked through the same thing that we experienced it in very different ways. And so We've needed to learn to let each other process it in different ways as well. And I think that it did really grow my respect for him to see him really living out the vows that he had made to me on our wedding day in sickness and in health and to see him be willing to step up and do all that needed to be done to care for us and to care for me and to care for the kids and to see him do that so well. It was it was really amazing to see.
1: If there's someone listening who is currently living with cancer, what are some of the things they might be wrestling with in terms of asking others for help? Can you give them some insights about helpful ways they might be able to enlist the support of family and friends in a manner that is not intrusive or overwhelming to others?
0: Well, this was something that was really difficult for me at first because I was used to being the person who could juggle all of the balls and get all my kids where they needed to go. And if you just had surgery or you just had a baby, I was the one who was going to bring you a meal. And so to be in the position of needing other people's help was so difficult. No one wants to be that weak and needy person who is inconveniencing others because now they're having to serve you. And so it took me a while to learn that letting my friends help me was actually one way that I could help them cope with my diagnosis and what I was going through. The people who loved me desperately wanted to do something for me. It would help them feel better to be able to do something for me. And so I be- began to see it as a way that I could love the people around me to let them help me and to let them do things for me. And as it turned out, I really, really needed them to do those things for me. I would find out pretty quickly that I was going to need a lot of help. And so I think acknowledging and admitting that you need help and being willing to let people help you is a really good step. And then just communicating your needs and, and then letting people connect with your needs. Cause you'll hear a lot from people. Just let me know how I can help. And it's hard to know what to do with that. And so if you can say, I need a ride to chemo this Thursday, then someone can say, I can do that. And If you have someone in your life who's a super organized person, I have my friend Lynette. Lynette can organize anything. She loves Excel spreadsheets. Like that is just how her brain works. And so I could say, you know, on Facebook or whatever to a large group of people, hey, everybody, if you want to help, talk to Lynette. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Here's her email address, and then I could give Lynette all of the needs that I had, and she could arrange, you know, a calendar or a Sign Up Genius or whatever it is, and um, and organize those. So I didn't have to deal with it because my brain was so overwhelmed. I was hearing from a lot of people. I was trying to spend time with my kids. I was trying to get my life organized before I had to start chemo. So having someone else, if you have a friend, he would be willing to kind of be in charge of the organization side of connecting your needs with the people he can help. I think that is, is very helpful.
1: Yeah, those sound like really great ways of, of just trying to put some structure around a very disorienting time and reaching out to the body of, of Christ and friends and family for help. And so I'd like to offer the listeners some practical action items that they can put into play once they're done listening to this episode. Can you offer some practical steps for attending to their spiritual needs during the season of living with cancer, as well as maybe some practical steps for attending to their physical needs? beyond the obvious medical treatments?
0: Yes. So I'll start with the physical. And I think being willing to take the time to rest. And it was so hard for me, but I I really needed it. And I had to understand that my body had changed. And really, it changed when I started chemo. I didn't feel sick when they told me I had cancer. I didn't feel sick. All I had was this lump in my breast, but once I started the treatment, I really did feel sick. And so I needed a lot of rest and I had to be willing to let myself get that rest, let other people help me. And the other thing I would say when it comes to the physical is to not be afraid to speak up and tell your medical team the side effects that you're having. I felt like I kind of needed to be tough and I didn't want to be complaining all the time. And so they would ask me, how are you feeling? How's your pain? Are you having any side effects? And I would have a tendency to want to just smile and be like, I'm good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it turned out that I was having some side effects that they had medications and treatments. It could help with those side effects, but I didn't tell them about it until I was so miserable. And I could have probably prevented some of that if I would have told them sooner when the side effects were just starting. So don't be afraid to speak up and let your medical team know every single little complaint that you have, because you're not complaining, you're just informing them. And then there might be something that they can do to help with that. Then when it comes to spiritual needs, it's so hard. As I mentioned, it was so hard for me to to be in the word, to be able to focus, to pray, I found that music was really helpful. Um, so many worship songs just really spoke to me during that time. And I had been listening to some CDs um, from Seeds Family Worship, and it's just scripture set to music. And it's for kids, but it's not obnoxious kid music. <laughs> it's really well done. And I would listen to Seeds Family Worship's music, and that would be one way that I could really keep the truth and the promises of Scripture in my mind, even when I couldn't focus to read my Bible. And then sharing really specific prayer requests with other people. I sometimes found it difficult to pray for myself, but I knew that so many people wanted to pray for me. And so I would share those specific prayer requests. And then I could know when I didn't feel like praying, there was probably someone out there that was praying for me in that moment. And that was really comforting. And then even though most of the time I did struggle to read, there were times during my treatment when I was able to read. And one book that I found especially helpful during that time is called A Place of Healing by Johnny Erickson Tata. And I really appreciated reading that book. And then since I've had cancer, if I was ever Back in that situation, a couple of books I've read since then that I would recommend to people, one is Hearing Jesus Speak into Your Sorrow by Nancy Guthrie, and the other one is Hope When It Hurts by Kristen Wetherill and Sarah Walton. And both of those two books have short little chapters that are very easy for someone who's going through suffering and maybe doesn't have a lot of energy to, to focus on longer chapters or a longer book, but they're very comforting and just filled with the truth of God's word and written by people who know what it's like to suffer. And so I've, I found all of those books to be really comforting.
1: I'm happy to link to those books in the show notes page, so if you're listening to this episode and you want to quickly get to the books that Marissa just recommended, i will be happy to include those in the show notes. There may be someone listening to this episode who currently lives with cancer. Perhaps they're feeling overwhelmed with all the medical information and articles they've read online. Maybe they're scared about what this diagnosis means for their future or the time they have left with their family. What would you say to that brother or sister in Christ to give them the courage to face an uncertain future by faith?
0: Well, I wish that I could sit across the table with a cup of coffee and a box of Kleenex (laughs) and talk. But if I could, I would say this is so, so hard. And I am so sorry that you are walking through this. And I would encourage you that when so much in your life feels uncertain, and there's so much that you don't know, and that is overwhelming, that you can cling to what you do know is true. And what you do know will never change. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves you just as much today as he did on the day that he died on the cross for you. And nothing can separate you from his love for you, not cancer, not a recurrence of the cancer, not a growing tumor, not tumors everywhere in your body, not even death can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so I would just want to encourage you to keep clinging to that truth through all the ups and downs and when it feels like the waves are going to consume you to just keep holding on to the Lord and knowing that he is going to give you everything you need. He will even give you the faith that you need to keep clinging to him because he is he's really the one who's holding on to you through all of that. It doesn't even depend on your faith. He will give you that faith and he will keep holding on to you. And then I would also say, be careful about looking too far ahead because sometimes we want to look far down the road and we want to try to figure out how we're going to cope with it and how we're going to manage it. And we want to be prepared for it. But I have found that with cancer, it's so much better if we just focus on today and we can trust the Lord to give us what we need today. He will provide what we need today. And when we get to tomorrow or next month or next year, he will provide then too. But we may not be able to see it right now. All we're going to see is how he's providing today. So I would just say, take it one day at a time. And I am confident that he's going to provide what you need to face today.
1: Those are really wonderful words of encouragement. Thank you so much for sharing them. I want to let the audience have an opportunity to connect with you if maybe they're interested in learning more about your writing ministry, your speaking ministry uh, on the topic of of living with cancer and cancer recovery. Would you let the audience know where they can find you online?
0: The easiest place to find me is MarissaHenley.com. And there's links there to information about my book or to find me on social media in all the different places, (laughs) or you can sign up for my email list and get some devotionals that I send out every Monday. So that's really kind of my central hub on the internet would be marissahenley.com. And also there's a place to email me. And if anyone has any questions or if you're walking through cancer and you need some support or you need someone to just to hear you and you know, I I'm here for that. So feel free to reach out.
1: Awesome, Marcia. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat about such an important topic. I really appreciate all the the wisdom you shared and just being vulnerable with your story to um, hopefully minister to the audience who is listening today.
0: Thank you, Christine. I appreciate it. Before we let you
1: go, I'd like to remind you to visit FaithfulSparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Marissa's book and writing resources. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so grateful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel, hope, and help for life's challenging problems, visit FaithfulSparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel, hope, and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.